Cloud Unfiltered listeners. Welcome back. This is Ali Amagasu. So happy you've joined us again uh, to hear what's going on in the world of cloud. Today, I'm so happy to say that we've got a return guest. We've only had a few of those. So he is an elite company here. He is a Cisco employee. His name is Luca Relandini. And he's the principal architect for data center and cloud in our EMEA region. Specifically, he is located in Italy, so you're going to get to hear a very cool accent throughout here. And we've invited him on because he's done some uh, cool stuff in his area. They've actually started a multi-cloud user group. You'll have to correct me, Luca, if I've got the name wrong. But uh, we want to find out why and how it's going. Because if, if you folks are anything like me in the past, you have probably belonged to user groups. I've run an OpenStack user group. I've been a member of a Marketo user group. But this is broader than that. So we want to find out what's going on. And uh, we welcome you today. Hey, Luca. Hello. How are you? I'm terrific. How are you? Perfect. It's Great. a little hot today in Italy. Pete, how are you? Um, it's going well. I, I can't believe I might have better weather in Michigan than Luca does in Italy. That I find that hard to believe. Is he saying... Oh, go ahead. 40 degrees Celsius today. So it will be good for my vacations because I'm going to the mountains. Pete, should we all change our plans and, and travel to upstate Michigan? Well, it, it is tourist season here. Even even in COVID, traffic around town has been not not like peak, not peak cherry festival kind of traffic, but but more so than you would find in say February, where there's there's no waiting pretty much everywhere in town. <laughs> Still have never set foot in that state. I would like to someday. Anyway, thanks again for joining us, Luca. So you, you've intrigued us with your um, talk of your multi-cloud user group. Is that the correct name, first off? Yes, it is the multi-cloud software user group because oh. it's specialized on software solutions from Cisco and open source and third parties. Great. So why did you start this? Actually, to do my job easier, because as you know, my job in pre-sales is to convince customers and partners to use our solutions. But sometimes they think that Cisco is just an infrastructure company. So they simply don't know that we have beautiful and great solutions in software for cloud orchestration, automation, and any kind of uh, amazing things that they are used to do with other vendors solution. So we want to spread the word. I need to uh, make them aware that we are playing as a great player in that area. So the idea was to convince them by telling the story and showing first-hand experience and also create a group of people that shares their own experiences. Let it be a project or pilot, a good or bad experience, even to discuss how to do things or how to solve their problems. So the community was born as a group of people that shares experience bidirectionally. We didn't just want to uh, teach them a lesson, but also to share problems and solutions and every funny thing that could make it easier. So we do that after hours, not in the business hours, because that should not be considered as training. And participants should not be there because their companies are sending them to training, but because they see that as a precious thing that can enrich their experience, their knowledge, and why not also their curriculum vitae. So when did you start this? 
we started July last year. So it is just one year that we are doing that. It was born initially as an in-presence meeting because of course, uh, copying in a sense what they do in the open source community with periodical meetups where people gather together to discuss about some specific subjects. We started doing the same at Cisco offices because it's easier for us, of course, we have great rooms, we have the facilities to host people. So we invited them in our meeting rooms. Initially, we started just in one city in Rome. Then, uh, because they asked to participate from other cities, we extended it to other two offices in Italy and connected the three offices via telepresence. So speakers could be in any city, in any of the three cities in Italy that are Rome, Milan, and Padua. But of course, the audience was dispersed in the three offices in our large meeting rooms. So uh, to make it more appealing for the participants, we started giving them pizza on Cisco and a beer. Actually, <laughs> offering a beer required a vice president approval because it's not allowed in Cisco offices. So even in Italy? <laughs> yeah, yes, of course. So we had to grant the presence of a manager at all meetings to verify that nothing wrong happened. And that was difficult initially to, to deal with the policies. But finally we did that. So pizza and beer happened every time. And in my opinion, that was one of the most interesting subjects that attracted people to our meetings. <laughs> so in addition to that, we gave them different sessions about technology. And since we were meeting every three weeks and the meeting was from 5 to 8 p.m. in, in the evening, just before or replacing the dinner time, uh, we wanted to have crisp and interesting sessions. So one was generally dedicated to one of the Cisco solutions in our multi-cloud software portfolio. One was related to a open source technology that in some way was connected to the main subject. And the other one was a hands-on experience or a lab or a demonstration where they could actually see the solution working. So not just theoretical stuff, but also something that is actionable and where they could put their hands on. So that format was interesting and we started growing our audience because also the words of mouth. So people brought their own colleagues or friends. And by the way, also Cisco colleagues started joining. So it sounds like it's gone pretty well so far. Yes, we were happy. And the number of people that we gathered in the community has been growing all through the winter and until COVID came, because of course with the pandemic, we were, not, we were no longer allowed to invite people in the office. Actually, the offices were closed. So we moved into a virtual event via WebEx. So we continued inviting the same people, sending the calendar. And of course, we have also created a website with the agenda and all the materials that we shared in the meeting. But of course, the atmosphere was different because first we didn't have the pizza and the beer anymore. <laughs> and then it, it made no sense to do the meeting after hours because everybody was working from home. And 
having already spent eight hours on their computer, we didn't want to keep them any any longer on the on the screen. Mm. So we changed the schedule from three hours every three weeks to one hour every week in in the afternoon of Thursday. So initially in the first meetings, we had much more people than we had in presence because probably the remote attendance made it possible for people that was not just living in Rome, Milan or Pado. So in the first weeks, uh, we had a great success of people. Then it started a little decreasing, probably because uh, one week, uh, one, one hour every week was too dense as a program. As a schedule, we were impacting their agenda too much, but also because after being uh, in jail for two or three months because of the COVID, as soon as the restrictions were released, people started jumping out of their houses. So probably on Thursday evening, they were no longer available for those meetings. So now we made a pause because of the vacation period that is coming, but also because everybody was tired for the long COVID story and working from home. And we will restart on September with a fresh program and making sure we learn from the experience and we give them something even more appealing. That sounds great. Pete, do you have any questions for Luca? Well, yeah. So, I mean, you, you kind of had these four key ingredients when you were doing this in person, right? It was pizza, beer, product, and open source. So I, I guess let's, let's focus on the, the latter two of those. Can you give some examples of some product and open source combinations that you've had in these meetings? Yes. So uh, now cloud native, native applications are very, very important for our customers and partners that do business with them. And to create and deploy an application, of course, you need to be confident with the technologies around that. So Docker containers and Kubernetes as a resource manager are fundamental in that. So in addition to the Cisco technologies and products that we demonstrated and the use cases that we told them. We also made a six um, sessions learning path about containers, starting from the Docker basics to advanced Docker and all, all the advanced Kubernetes subjects, including integration with the network, the storage, security, and so on. So that was in parallel with demonstrating the Cisco solutions that help you to create Kubernetes clusters on demand. As an example, the Cisco container platform, which is a software product that makes it easy to generate a mission-critical enterprise-ready Kubernetes cluster. And we also used a cloud management platform from Cisco, which is the Cloud Center Suite with modules to deploy application blueprints to any cloud and to orchestrate the life cycle of the application and to save uh, budget from consumption of cloud services. So we try to go in parallel with teaching basic technologies and showing how they relate to the Cisco offering and how business use cases could be served with that stuff. Interesting. So. So you would offer, in this case of Kubernetes, you would also offer some intro to containers and Kubernetes 
kinds of hands-on training, it sounded like, or follow-along kind of training, and then show the, in, in this case, like Cisco Container Platform, that would show you how to manage those clusters individually. So there was kind of a, there was kind of something in it for you, even if you weren't interested in this, even if you were either didn't know about or weren't interested in the Cisco product. Is that accurate? Yes, absolutely. We told them, come with your computer, with your laptop, because we will teach you how to create an application from source code to package that in containers, run it on Docker, or to create a Kubernetes cluster and run the application on Kubernetes. That was not related to Cisco at all. It is just basic knowledge. And most of them found that very attractive because initially we had mostly network engineers or IT managers. Then we started uh, connecting to some developers, but of course, even though they already knew how to manage with uh, software applications or containers or Kubernetes itself, they found it interesting, the relationship to the infrastructure and the Cisco management tools. So in, in addition to Docker and Kubernetes, we also managed uh, to teach them they they learn how to use Ansible and Terraform. We also had guest speakers from Red Hat and other companies. So it was not just Cisco telling them the story, but some, someone else that is probably the most expert and the most recognized expert. And we, we used sandboxes so that even though if they couldn't run the labs on their laptop in some cases, they could use the DevNet at sandboxes or Red Hat sandboxes made available for the Ansible training. So it sounds like you got a pretty wide variety of roles in terms of your audience, both IT ops and developers. I, I wonder, did those, two, did those two core audiences who typically don't get along in sort of in the real world, right? Did, did you find that they were taking away slightly different things? Did you find that they were finding some common ground having gone through this experience together? What kind of sense did you get for how those two audiences were interacting with one another in this forum? It was not easy. Of course, they came with different expectations and to make them happy at the same time is not that easy. But we also tried to convince them of the a necessity to work together and to understand each other a little more. So we also recommended to do some practice about DevOps principles and organization, because of course, if you think you would adopt DevOps, you should start with the cultural change. So teaching developers that there is another part of the world that needs some help or assistance from them and vice versa teaching the operations that someone else is doing a very important job that will finally provide them something to run. So, of course, telling the two parts that there is something they could learn to make their conversation and their interaction easier was interesting for them. And, of course, we didn't go into deep detail about those things, but the basics that we have taught I think would be useful to both parties. Luca, do you know if there's a similar group in, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners will be in the United States. We do have global listeners, but a lot will be in the U.S. Do you know if there's a similar uh, group in the U.S. run by Cisco? Not sure, but everything we have created is meant to be reusable. So 
all the format, all the deliverables we have created are, of course, in English. So I'm talking with my colleagues in other countries to replicate the program and to try to extend it. So in September, we will start in Italy, but also in other countries in Europe. And nothing prevents my U.S. colleagues to reuse exactly the same things that we have built. Well, what would your tips be for anyone? Uh, you know, what, what did you learn, I guess? You've been doing it for a year now. What were, your, what were the mistakes you made, maybe? And any tips you would have for someone who wants to do like you did and create a thriving uh, multi-cloud user group? First, find the best pizza in town <laughs> to offer them. <laughs> no, but jokes apart, uh, you should select your target audience a little better than we did because we just try to bring everybody and told them, bring your friends. So to fill the rooms initially and to have satisfaction from a larger audience. But of course, as we discussed with Pete, it's not easy to make them happy at the same time because of course, everybody has a different expectation. So probably selecting the target would be a little uh, more efficient in terms of creating the community and the spirits also, we used surveys a lot. So at every session, we offered them an online survey and we discussed the outcome with the participants just to understand if we were on the right track. So if we made them happy with the subjects and the style of the sessions and to get the request for next subjects. So that interaction works very well, even when you do that via WebEx. There are very easy tools you could use to do online surveys, and I encourage everybody to, to, to use that. In addition, I think that instead of just sending invitation via email or the other usual channels for communicating with our customers and partners, inviting them in person through direct relationship that we have we the I mean the group that created this program and delivered all the sessions, but also our colleagues in pre-sales or the account managers that have daily contacts with customers should speak about the value of the initiative and what we can offer to them and what they could learn or reuse from those meetings. I think that would be very important to make people understand the, the value we can give them. Yeah, that pizza and beer part you said in the beginning, can't, can't uh, emphasize that strongly enough. I know that we, uh, we did the same when I hosted the OpenStack user group. And what was interesting to me was I would have to throw people out. We would start at 7, and I figured people would not want to hang around. We would have to throw people out at 10.30. They did not want to go home. And I don't think it's because, yes, our content was interesting, and we did the same. We had outside speakers like you did as well as speakers from our own company. But um, I think people really enjoyed the fellowship. I think they enjoyed getting to congregate with um, yep. folks who do the same thing they do, but from other companies. And they were having such a good time, we would have to throw them out. And so I think it would be so much harder to do what you've been doing lately, where you're hosting it online. And they don't get to have that fellowship. They still get to do the learning, but they don't get to have the connections as probably as easily with the other human beings. Absolutely. The informal uh, environment makes it easier for them to discuss their problems or also to say, I don't know these things. Can you help me to understand? Of course, in a more formal environment or in a public event like WebEx is, because if they speak, everybody would, would listen to them. 
that are much more constrained and sometimes they refrain from openly think or ask what they have in mind. Yeah. So I'm sure you want to return to the in-person meetings as soon as you can. As soon as possible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this, those tips you gave are great and they wouldn't only apply to any Cisco folks who want to start a multi-cloud user group. They'd start, they'd be, I think they'd be useful to anyone at any company who's wanting to start a group like that and learn more from uh, their colleagues in other companies. Pete, any questions? Well, I, I, I'd like to go back to the subjects. I mean, you, you have on your on your list of potential topics, things that are sort of outside the sphere of what people would typically think of with Cisco. Specifically, you've got uh, Amazon Alexa integration and things like serverless on here. What kind of response did you get from folks that when you when you covered a topic that wasn't necessarily identifiable as something Cisco would be interested in? They were uh, enthusiastic because they thought it was a very distant topic, kind of exoteric, that they would never touch if we didn't bring it to their table. So doing a lab all together to create Alexa skills, just to say some humor things, and then evolve the skills to use the API exposed by Cisco products. So be able to command or to ask Alexa to create a database in the cloud or create right. a web, web server or my OpenStack farm was really amazing for them. Or also asking Alexa how much I'm spending in my cloud services at Azure or Amazon. So that was very easy to implement. They understood the uh, very limited complexity of the implementation. And at the same time, they discovered the power of the API exposed by these co-products. We also made something different, like creating a small remote command with just a button to push to create a Kubernetes cluster in the cloud. So that was, again, talking, uh, invoking the API exposed by the Cisco container platform and was able to create a cluster here or there. Cool. So that's kind of, and that's always like the fun thing with these groups. So these, for, it, it, it a lot of times is, the first introduction to some of these, what others would consider like fringe technologies that you don't see in like a day-to-day -day enterprise IT shop. Yeah. So well, we told them, of course, this is not the way to create a cluster in the real life. It is just a funny demo, but uh, it teaches you the, the power of the API. Well, but I mean, conversational programming is potentially a thing, right? If you can do infrastructure as code, why couldn't you do, you know, infrastructure as conversation? Like that's not, that's not necessarily, you know, that far outside the realm. I mean, your example, Alexa, give me a database whose table has four columns, each of them is strings. Like that, that's a thing. Like that, that's something yep. that's possible now in a way that it didn't used to be. And it, it is a step, a step ahead in front of the mobile applications that they, uh, they still love for system management because sometimes when uh, a solution we offer also contains a mobile front end it looks like some exceptional advancement but based that on conversational interaction is even much more advanced well what do you think the future of this looks like i mean you're you're getting ready to go on your i think culturally mandatory august european vacation here right and <laughs> 
and <laughs> and things are 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 getting better there in Italy in terms of you know social distancing guidelines and so forth. Like, what what do you see the future of this looking like? Both continuing online only and the potential of bringing it back face to face. And what other topics might you continue to explore with this group? The uh, emergency is not over because the lockdown has been released, but we still have a number of limitations and constraints. I'm happy that I'm going to vacations next week, next week, but I know that before we go back to the normal working uh, style, all going to the offices, uh, it's not very soon. So we need to to deal with those limitations and next meetings will be virtual necessarily. Of course, we think that as soon as possible, we will restart the presence uh, meetups. So we need to find a way to keep them engaged. So uh, probably doing more hands-on lab, providing remote access to laboratories or sandboxes where they can follow us and do interactively the same things we are doing and demonstrating do you guys set do you guys set the agenda as far as um future topics simply based on an internal discussion or do you guys take feedback from the the attendees and kind of set that agenda based on what they're asking the most questions about when we published the calendar we made sure we had a number of sessions ready to be delivered so for the next three or four events we plan the subjects but of course day by day or week by week at every meeting we ask them what would you like to see or discuss or ask us and based on that feedback sometimes we change the, the schedule and we replace sessions with something that is more interesting for the audience pete brought up serverless uh, earlier which obviously you haven't done that session right not yet, just okay. uh, as a as a part of the Alexa training, but okay. that was not very deep. So we will welcome Pete probably when we restart <laughs> in, in autumn, if he wants. It will be a very appreciated guest in our there meetings. We, there we go. There we go. I just I, the reason I had brought it up was I just wonder how these topics will will go over with a primarily Cisco oriented audience. You know, they expect to hear certain things from us and they don't expect a lot of these topics that you're covering. I think it's a good thing, but I know that when I speak about Kubernetes, say at a Cisco live, if I'm talking to someone who walks by me at a booth and I talk about Kubernetes, sometimes I just get, you know, uh, <laughs> nothing, no reaction. They just stare at me blank faced. Yes, we started with the very high level definition of cloud native applications and the modern life cycle for a software project. And we describe the different components and different activities. And then we ask them, are you interested in knowing more about those technologies or those best practices? So based on the feedback, of course, we created the agenda. There is a very lucky circumstance that in the Rome office, there are a group of colleagues, my friends, that self-aggregated in a, in a group that we named the Software Dream Team. So people with a very strong background in software and in programming uh, automation and so on so we work together to animate this community and there is no lack of speakers or interesting topics to bring to the meetups the software dream team i like that so that's a good tip for someone who's who's trying to put together their own user group 
is don't necessarily rely entirely on these folks who join in the beginning is, is have a team that you can count on that's going to ask the right questions, it's going to present well uh, until the team gets some steam, it sounds like, until the, um, the group gets some steam and has enough knowledge to share amongst themselves. Absolutely. You guys, were running out of time here. Pete, do you have any questions you need to squeeze in before the end? No, I mean, e even if you aren't interested in the topics that Lucas Group is going over, and, and a whole lot of people are, I think we've covered some really good tips that are applicable to any kind of user group that you might want to uh, might want to try to start. So thanks, Lucas, for sharing so much of your your inside story as to how you've been able to grow this group over the last year. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, and Luca, if someone is listening right now and they're saying, well, I have a very specific question about starting a user group, are you okay with them contacting you through Twitter or through um, email? Or how much of your information can I share in the show notes, I guess is what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> you can share everything because we did that as evangelists. So we want to share our knowledge and our best practices with everyone. And internally at Cisco, I've also published a wiki with the why and how we did this initiative. All right, so if you're listening right now, in the show notes, I'll have the link to uh, Luca's user group page, uh, to the wiki, to his Twitter handle, to all the things so that you can do a little learning from what he's done and uh, possibly create your own group if there isn't one already in place. Thank you so much for joining us, Luca. Have a fantastic vacation. I'm glad you get to get out and go somewhere. And uh, it's been so nice to connect with you again. Thank you. Speak to you soon. All right. Bye-bye.